You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome into the Blue Horseshoe podcast. Ryan Hickey, George Bremer with you. Joint practices between the Lions and the Colts have concluded. They're on Wednesday and Thursday. And George, we were joking the last podcast. I'm looking at you right now in video. No bruises. No black eyes, no scrapes. Either you took my advice, put the helmet on, or you were staying far, far, far away from any sort of potential danger. I'm, I'm glad you made it out alive. Dan Kimball didn't try to bite any knee cops off, and you were sitting here fully fine after two full days of joint practices. Yeah, no danger out there. It was really, you know, an interesting because I think we kind of all expected it to be a really physical session, and it was. Both days were really physical. They were intense practices, but uh, there were only really two fights. They were both brief skirmishes. Uh, Michael Pittman was involved in one, so we Shocker. at least got that. Uh, but, you know, it, there wasn't anything uh, egregious. There, it wasn't one of these uh, practices, you know, one of these joint sessions where it disrupted practice. You know, it, really good work from both teams. And I think I know Frank Reich said afterwards he was really excited because he felt like they got everything they needed to get and both teams were really professional doing it. I know it's, you know, we kind of joke about it. I think our, our fight count was five and a half. But you're right, it is good to see because mm-hmm. you see – Panthers and Patriots joint practices, and that's basically one scrum after another. So, right, fighting aside, it is nice to see that you actually get some good work and actually use these two days that coaches love to deem, you know, some of the most important practices of the training camp. Actually, get to have them, you know, use them to uh, to your benefit. So, speaking of which, George, right, it's every year. I don't know about you. For me, I am one to always overreact, get wrapped up in the moment. Every year coming into training camp, I always tell myself, we're not going to overreact. Preseason games, training camp, joint practices, we're just going to take with a grain of salt and wait till week number one comes. This is clearly, right, some of the most important practices the Colts will have in training camp before week number one. I am not going to overreact to either the positives that came out of these last two days or the negatives. We'll get into both sides of that. How about yourself, though? Because Again, you you know you see the the uh, the plays going on. You, you kind of see what is going to be the closest thing to game action. Are you someone that's going to really take kind of what you see the last two days and have it be you know meaningful, or is it kind of eh, okay? That's a nice footnote going for week number one. Yeah, it's kind of hard, you know, because I think you you talk to the players all the time, and they're always talking about levels of the NFL. Like you come in and you get drafted, and you go through OTAs, and that's one thing. You're going at one speed. There's one level of intensity. Training camp starts, it goes up a little bit, preseason games, then into the regular season. Everything's a step up, but it feels like this is kind of an in-between step. It's not really a full preseason game, uh, but it's also not a regular practice. In some ways, it's more intense than a preseason game because they're doing a little bit more. You're showing a little bit more, uh, but at the end of the day, you're still no one's keeping score out there today. There was no... You know, there weren't cheerleaders. There were a lot of fans, but it's not a game atmosphere. You know what I mean? So it's hard. It's really hard to put it, I think, into perspective 
Uh, to me, it, it's you look at situations, and I think that's what they were doing anyway. I think one of the big benefits of these practices over regular, over preseason games is that you can set up exactly what you want to set up. For instance, Frank Reich declined a, a third down pass interference penalty today because he wanted the team to face a fourth down. Obviously, he's not going to do that in a game, uh, but you can do it out here because it doesn't really matter. So you got to take it all you know, take it all within that context. But at the end of the day, I mean, the passing game got into a rhythm, which we really hadn't seen much in, in training camp. I think that was a good sign. Uh, the running game had its moments today, but I think the biggest um, the biggest takeaway from both days, the offense was unable to finish today. They didn't, they did a two-minute drill at the end, neither first or second team got a first down, and they weren't able to sk- score on the ground in the red zone. So, um, you know, do you panic about that? I don't know. I, I like your kind of take on that too, because I'm not sure, you know, where do you place that in, in importance? I'm glad you brought the red zone too, because I think that's an area that, you know, is going to be crucial for the Colts this year. And like you said, on Wednesday, Colts had a really, really good red zone camp or, or session. I should say Thursday, they struggled. And when you look to, you look at last year and, and part of the reason that led to the Colts eventual collapse and just missing the playoffs outright after they were basically guaranteed a playoff spot was, you know, the red zone efficiency or lack thereof. Like, you look where the Colts finished last year in terms of red zone percentage of scoring uh, or the percentage of times they were in the red zone scored a touchdown. They were just 19th in the NFL last year. And you look at a lot of the playoff teams, they're punching in, you know, touchdowns when they get into the red zone about 60% of the time. Colts are at 56% last year. So not far off, per se, from, you know, some of the playoff contenders. But you look at a team like the Titans, right? The, the team the Colts are chasing right now the most to, to get the division. They were ninth last year in terms of touchdown percentage in the red zone. And that's an area you really hope with Matt Ryan coming on in, he'll be able to improve more than Carson Wentz did and elevate that 56% number to get to a 60% range to give yourself a better chance to win the division and get to the playoffs and playing meaningful football. So I will say that that's an area I'm definitely looking at more. I'm not going to get too high after Wednesday's really good performance or get too low after Thursday's struggles. But that is definitely something to circle now going forward is red zone efficiency. Can they be punching in touchdowns, not field goals? That's going to be something huge for this team, you know, going forward. It's going to be a big difference between wins and uh, wins and losses. I mean, to your point, they were two and five last year in one score games. And how many of those games do you go back? And if you finish a drive here or a drive there, you win the game. Uh, and obviously you miss the playoffs by one game. So any of those three losses, you flip in the red zone and, and you score touchdowns, it's a totally different situation. And and I think um, today, the, the interest between the two days is it was pass heavy on Wednesday. And that's where Matt Ryan's obviously going to make the biggest difference. And the Colts looked outstanding. They, they were almost unstoppable down there. Today, it was run heavy. And the running game is one of the, the hardest things to, to really judge out here. I mean, Jonathan Taylor last year had more yards after scrimmage than anybody else had, or more yards after contact than anybody else had from scrimmage. So when was he down? You know, they're going to blow the whistle out here and you don't know what he had broken that. It, you can't get into those kind of conversations. Um, they did have two live snaps at the end of each red zone drill with the first team and the second team on the first team drill. Deion Jackson fumbled the ball. So you don't know what was going to happen there. It was recovered by Aiden Hutchinson and, the Lions win that rep. On the second one, Devontae Price was stopped at the one. But again, you know, in, in November, December, when they're trying to win games, those two guys are probably not going to be carrying the ball in that situation. So I, I don't know. I mean, I want to see some more push from the line. I feel like in general, they had moments today where they where they did a really good job. They broke about a 30-yard run with Taylor at one point 
uh, where there was a clear hole and a couple of the backup guys had some good gains too. But that's something that, like you said, going forward, that's the difference between nine and eight and 11 and six. I mean, it really is. Can you finish in the red zone? And uh, it, that remains to be seen. I'm glad you talked about the run game and versus the pass game. Let's talk about that for a little bit with the offensive line. Like I said, until we get to week one, it's going to be truly impossible to evaluate their run blocking, you know, how great they can be compared to, you know, what they're showing right now. But when you really think about it, right, you're going to have a 37-year-old quarterback in Matt Ryan who's not as mobile, not as fleet of foot as even Carson Wentz was last year. So I think off the surface, you asked any fans, they would say, well, of course you want your pass blocking of the five offensive linemen to be better than the run blocking. I would argue, George, this year, even coming off of what they did last year with John Taylor having that in tremendous season, run blocking for this offensive line, even with two new pieces, is going to be way more important and lead to way more success for this offense, in large part because if we saw last year the biggest Achilles heel for the Colts, especially down the stretch, was not running the ball, was not getting a push on the offensive line. It was Carson Wentz making the big throws when he had to make them. Now you bring in Matt Ryan, and you think if they're able to run the ball similar clip as they were last year, we won't put expectations on Jonathan Taylor to surpass the tremendous season they had last year, but if they run even slightly below 90% of what they did last year, well, Matt Ryan, right? What do we know about Matt Ryan? There's two things. Number one, he's one of the best flashing quarterbacks in the NFL, right? You look, look at his MVP season. I know it was five years ago in 2016, but that play action scheme with when he actually had a really good team around him, he was one of the best quarterbacks that year off play action. Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator. We know, you know, he likes to run a lot of play action schemes in San Francisco. So you think, all right, Matt Ryan, that's something he can have a lot of success with having the defenses, you know, suck in and try to stop John and the Taylor. And you can, you know, uh, push the ball deep, which is Matt Ryan is one of the still, still one of the best deep throwers this game has to offer, but also too, what did you hear all offseason, George, from coaches and from players? The difference between Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz was what? Matt Ryan makes the layups, right? He, he takes what's there, whether it's a seven-yard slant, whether it's a dump off in the flat. So now, especially when you, you know when you have defenses trying to sell out the way they should, if Jonathan Taylor is having another you know equal year in 2022 like he did in 2021, all of a sudden that you know, pitch to the flat to Naeem Hines or Jonathan Taylor is going to be open for 10, 15 yards. You break a tackle, who knows? It can be a 60-yard touchdown. We saw last year, Carson Wentz, a lot of it was kind of home run or nothing, right? He, he was going to go deep. And if he was covered, still going to throw it up there. Sometimes you got a big play and got a touchdown. Other times he's broken up, intercepting. Those are two areas I look at where it's so important for this offensive line, especially to establish the run, even though you have a new left tackle, right? And you think that's an important part of, of pass blocking to keep Matt Ryan upright, who's not going to move around the pocket a lot. But if they're able to establish the run, and even if their pass blocking is pretty good, not great, I just still think that's enough for this offense to be a lot better than they were last year. Yeah, I mean, to those points, you never really saw the offense get in a rhythm last year. Like you are talking about all or nothing, you know, it was home run or bust. When they had good drives, they, they were very seldom 12-play, 90-yard marches, even 75-yard marches. It was one big play that, that put them in position, whether that was a big uh, pass interference early in the year. They got a lot of that. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it was a big play to, to Michael Pittman or whether it was Jonathan Taylor breaking off a, a big run, you rarely saw them take those chunks all the way down the field that – I feel like that kind of demoralizes a defense. Not that they love giving up the big plays, but you can go back and look at that and say, hey, this this coverage was busted. If we get here, we can clean that up. When the other team just seems to do whatever they want to do and go right down on the field on you, you know, that wears on you, especially if it happens uh, drive after drive after drive. You never saw that from the Colts offense last year. And I think that's something you feel like is, 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 is a possibility with this group. Um, and I think that run game, I went back through Matt Ryan's career 
He, I think only twice in 14 years has he had a top five run game supporting him when he was a rookie and, and they made the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. And we all know how hard that is to do. And then in 2016, when they went to the Super Bowl and he was the MVP. So you feel like if they have a top five running game, which I think would be the baseline expectation for this team this year, um, you're, you're going to get a really good version of Matt Ryan as a result of that. The play action, you're already seeing it. Obviously, the run game's different here. We've already mentioned that. But defenses still have to react to it accordingly. And there were times even today where they came up because of that fake and Michael Pittman's open over the middle. And, and then his ability to run after the catch, I think that's something that's going to be a big difference with this team this year. Uh, you saw him last year on those plays like you are talking about, a lot of jump balls down the field, you know, make the catch, and then it's a 50-yard gain or whatever. I think you're going to see a lot more this year of him catching the ball in stride, breaking a tackle, and then running for a while. And he's an angry runner now. His dad was a running back in the NFL, and you see that at times in him. You don't say that about receivers very often, but Michael Pittman is an angry runner, and I think that's going to affect things too. The more Jonathan Taylor can do, the more push the offensive line gives him, the more that's going to open up everything else for this offense. And two, you know, the theme of these training camps so far, especially on the offensive end, is the questions about, you know, the wide receivers, especially that's going to give them such a needed boost and make their job so much easier when you do have seven, eight. I mean, last year we saw sometimes nine guys in the box selling out to stop Jonathan Taylor. Now, all of a sudden, a five yard slant to your point, uh, George. Forget it, you know, Michael Pippen breaks one tackle and he's gone. Alec Pierce can, you know, get in a foot race or Paris Campbell he can catch the ball and, you know, stay healthy on the field. That's a burner. You know, th that's the the exciting part of this offense is they really do complement each other really well. Now it's just about execution. And as we've seen, sometimes it's the quarterback, sometimes it's injuries, but that's really been the one area the Colts have been lacking these last few years is truly executing when it counts. Yeah, and, that, and it all goes back to the red zone. We were talking about that right. earlier. It all goes back to, to – it all works hand in hand. You've got to finish drives, whatever that takes. You know, does that mean not dropping a pass? Does it mean breaking a tackle? Does it mean getting that block? That's going to be the critical – I think the critical thing for this team that, that's going to determine how this offense fares. You know, it's great. Today was one of those days at practice where they kind of moved the ball great between the 20s and then it broke down in the red zone. And obviously, if that happens in a game, it's not going to go well for you. So uh, it, it's really all about the details. And I think that's what you're getting at there. You know, it, it's about making sure you're doing the little things right so that one area of the, of the offense can complement another area. On paper, it looks great. But and I think that's the theme of this training camp so far has been that this team's extremely confident. They have high energy. They have high expectations. But they also are a little bit scarred by what happened at the end of last year. I mean, we've talked about it already, you know, in our brief time on the podcast. That's one of the worst losses in, in NFL history. When you look at what was on the line and, and who the opponent was, uh, it, and it's going to leave a mark. And I think one of the things it's done in a positive fashion is this team is talking about talk is cheap. You know, I think they really they know it. They had seven pro bowlers last year and they were watching the playoffs from home. And they understand you've got to take care of these these things that we're talking about, these little details, so that doesn't happen again. It's a good point because I feel like now the last few years, especially with this Colts, and now we've seen this young, kind of young core be together for three, four years, 
I feel like there is a, always a lot of optimism, always a lot of high expectations for their Colts going into a year. And we have seen them, you know, out really outside of 2020, fall short a lot of those expectations. 2019, obviously, is a, is a whole different, you know, a uh, whole different shebang there. But I do like that point where this is the first time in a long time where the Colts truly are licking their wounds and have a reason to be pissed off. Like, you know, even when Andrew Luck comes back in 2018, you don't really know, you know, what to expect. And there's that joy of, oh, Andrew's back. Then he retires suddenly. All the, you know, the joy kind of deflates. Then Phillip Rivers comes in, nice 2020 season. Now, you know, he leaves. Carson Wentz comes in, there's still optimism. This is the first time in a long time, George, where the Colts truly enter training camp with a bitter taste in their mouth, with some fire under them, with a little sense of urgency. And I really do hope that's going to be a big difference here come week one, because how long have we talked about their struggles early on in the season, especially under Frank Reich? They never get off to a good start. Maybe that could be, you know, the deciding factor between a one and four start or a, a four and two star. Like, you know, we've rarely seen so far, especially in the Frank Reich era. The irony is the one year they get off to a good start is the year they have a losing record. They can't finish that year uh, with Jacoby Reset. And so it's it's been that kind of odd, you know, good nine-game stretch and a bad nine-game stretch. You haven't been able to put together anything, you know, consistent throughout the year. And so uh, I think that that's the other big thing they've talked about. I and mean, it's interesting you brought that up, Ryan, because the other big thing they've talked about is we've got to win the opener. And then you right. hear that from every player out there because it hasn't happened since 2013 which is ridiculous. I mean, that's one of the the craziest stats probably right now in the league. This is a team with the fourth most wins in, in the NFL since 2000, and they haven't won in week one since 2013. Uh, you you got to take care of that. And the other big thing to me that they haven't talked about as much, but it goes hand in hand with that, is winning the division games. I mean, it, when Andrew Luck was here and they were winning the division, they were going, you know, five and one, six and zero oh against the division regularly. Four and two was a bad year. Now it's three and three, two and four. You're never going to be able to overcome that, you know, and and it, that starts with the Titans. I mean, I know we're going to get in this a little bit more later, but I think they're one and four against the Titans, one and three against the Titans in the last two years. You, you're not going to win the division doing that. You know, if you don't go out, you can't drop games to Jacksonville down there that, that you shouldn't be losing and you can't lose head to head battles with, with Tennessee. That's where the season's determined. You know, you got to win your division first and everything else takes care of itself. Hot start, play well in the division. I think those are two of the biggest keys for the team this year. And the schedule does benefit the Colts in a sense of you get two division games right away. Again, you, you would think, history aside, you get a soft opener with the Texans. Then you go to the House of Horrors in Jacksonville week number two. I, again, for I feel like the normal fan outside of the Colts, you look at those two games, oh, it's not important. They should be 2-0, oh, no big deal. It is, it's crazy to kind of think, but where this Colts team has got up to the slow start and just the importance of kind of, like you said, getting off to a hot southern division at uh, Houston, at Jacksonville, that's a major, major start to the season. We can kind of truly see, even though it's against two bad teams that you are clearly better than and should win those games nine times out of 10, though that's going to be a great, you know, opener and first two games to truly see how this Colts team measures up to where they were in the past. It's not, you know, it almost sounds counterintuitive, but that's the reality. No, and I think it's a great opening stretch because of that, because you're going to have that that 2013 thing hanging over your head in, in week one. Can you get that monkey off your back and then go down to Jacksonville? As you said, it's been the house of horrors for them. They haven't won there since 2014. You know, can you go in and, and take care of those two things uh, and get rid of the two? I don't want to call them curses, but, you know, two slumps that you've had that don't make a lot of sense right off the bat. You can change some of the energy, change some of the talk around the team and and win two critical division games 
to me, they've got to be 2-0. and If they're anything less than 2-0, and it's not a good start to the season. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Let's wrap up, at least for the joint practices on the offensive end. Unfortunately, you know, injury is always a key part of training camp. The Colts did suffer their first big blow, uh, at least, you know, an actual practice with Drew Ogletree going down, torn ACL, a huge blow for what has been a guy as a rookie coming in, really making a name for himself, really playing his way into the lineup here. I found it really interesting on Wednesday, especially, George, when Ogletree does go down, you know, before the, the team period, and you see Matt Ryan after that in the red zone, three touchdowns to three receivers. You would think going in, the tight ends in the red zone are especially where you will kind of uh, or have themselves make their hay with the size of Molly Cox and the size of, of Ogletree at the time, and now Jelani Woods. You would think the red zone, when you have six, five guys and taller, that is going to be where they truly, you know, butter their bread. But instead, it's Pittman, it's Pierce, it's it's Ashton Doolin. You know, the receivers are the ones making the touchdowns here. Have you seen, especially in the first, um, the first joint practice on Wednesday, is that going to now be a trend where maybe the tight ends in the red zone aren't going to be as important as maybe we think they are on paper? Yeah, it's hard to say really because you don't know exactly what they're working on and and what they were doing and especially on Wednesday you don't know how big a plan Ogletree was, you know, going into that, how much did things change after the injury so that they have to switch it up. Uh but I I think that one thing there is that they can help without even catching the ball. I mean, you get Mo Ali Cox out there, he's going to draw a lot of attention because he's a huge man. Jelani Woods is the same way. The receivers aren't midgets either though. I think Pierce is 62 or 63 and uh, Michael Pittman 64. So you know, I think they feel like they've got good size across the board there. I think Ashton Doolin's six one ish in that neighborhood. So, you know, they're they're big guys. I think that's something they like across the board, having those that size and being able to throw jump balls in the end zone. And the biggest thing from that first period was, you know, first of all, Matt Ryan put the ball where it needed to be, but you expect that from him. These guys were going up and making plays on the ball, and that's that's big. You know, I think when you can go up and 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 win those 50-50 battles. That's how you improve that red zone percentage. You know Jonathan Taylor is going to be Jonathan Taylor, and he's going to you know, ram that ball in as, as often as he can. But when you've got aggressive play from, from big guys like Woods and Pittman and, and Pierce and uh, Mo Alley-Cox, it can, it can make a big difference. It's great to see at least so far again some you know real action here outside just a preseason game with those two joint practices with Detroit. When we return here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast – it's an annual tradition. Jim Mersey did it again. The yearly declaration will tell you what the Colts owner had to say about his expectations for the 2022 season when we return. George, it wouldn't be training camp without Jim Mersey talking about optimism, talking about the end goals for this team. And of course, you can't talk about end of the season without talking about the Super Bowl. Jim Mersey on Wednesday making the rounds in the media, talking about his declaration, his proclamation, his hopes of this team having their eyes on the prize. I will say this. I like Jim Irsay's optimism. I like that he is setting the bar high, and it's not just, hey, we want to make the playoffs, or hey, we want to win the division for the first time in a long time. We are going for broke, and it's the Super Bowl or bust. I know it can always put you know high expectations and a lot of pressure on the team, but in a sense, I do appreciate, especially as a fan, of the owner being like, look, we're going for it all here. This is, you know, we're not settling for anything less than a championship. Yeah, there's no question what the standard is. And I think that's important uh, from that standpoint. You know, I mean, he, he he tends to get a little ahead of himself a lot because he's the one thing about Jim Irsay, he's the biggest Colts fan there is. I don't know how many owners are that way. You know, a lot of them are kind of their business guys and, and, and the football side of thing. 
they're there when they win. They're not when they lose. They're not really living and in, in, in breathing with this team. And, and Jim Ursay is, you know, he is fan number one for this team. And he always has been. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And I think sometimes that comes out in a way that, that can be a little cringeworthy. But I think in this case, you know, yeah, you kind of laugh a little bit because he does it all the time. Uh, but it's also letting this team know this is the bar. This is what's expected here. He flat out said Matt Ryan is here to win his Lombardi. You know, he brought up the Super Bowl loss. Everybody's well aware of what happened with, with Ryan and the Falcons against the Patriots and, and how that's kind of been his scar. And the Colts have their own scar from the last few years, particularly the Jaguars game last year. But really, you think about where this team was in 2018 when Andrew Luck was healthy and Frank Reich's offense seemed to be a perfect fit for him. And Chris Ballard had just had an outstanding draft class, brought in you know, Shaquille Leonard and Quentin Nelson. It felt then like the sky was the limit for this franchise. And just a few months later, Luck's retiring in the middle of a preseason game, and, it, and it, you're back to square one. You know, I remember thinking that night, this franchise might have been set back 10 years right here tonight. Because when you lose a franchise quarterback in his prime like that, it's not easy to replace. And so there's been a lot of scuffling since then. You know, they made the playoffs with Phillip Rivers. They should have made the playoffs last year. They had the losing season with Jacoby Brissett. It, it's been a lot of ups and downs, but I think I think what Jim Irsay is trying to say in the middle of his optimism and in the middle of his being the the the, the lead cheerleader for this this franchise is expectations are back where they they used to be. That period's behind them. They feel like Matt Ryan's the guy. Not going to be a long era with him. There's no question about that. They feel like that that carousel, at least for now, is paused. And so I think it's good to let the team know and let the fans know, hey, trying to make the playoffs isn't enough anymore. They want to go there and they want to win games. That's obviously right. The goal, that's always the hope coming into the season and training camp. You know, hope is always, you know, at the forefront of everyone's mind, whether you are the, the Jaguars or whether you are the Colts, that's for sure. But let's talk now in reality, George. When you look at this Colts team, I really like the way they're constructed. I think they're a really well-balanced team. Matt Ryan thinks it's going to be a big upgrade over Carson Wentz. I think they this team's is, is going to win the division. I think they are the favorites and should be the favorites to win the AFC South. But when you look around the AFC, or we're talking Super Bowl, we're talking about beating teams like the Bills, who were already you know one of the best teams last year. They had Von Miller. You talk about beating the Bengals, who went to the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow. Now he's even healthier than he was last year. Great receivers, and they upgraded the offensive line. You have the Broncos getting Russell Wilson. You have the Chargers getting stronger. The Chiefs, even though they lost Tyreek Hill, they're still a strong team. We found out on Thursday that Sean Watson will be suspended 11 games for this season, so he'll still be back for six. That's a very well-rounded Browns team. The Ravens will be healthier. This is not the year to be a, a pretty good team in the AFC because you need to be a very good to elite team. I don't think, in my personal opinion, Colts should be Super Bowl or buses here. I think you can have success without winning the Lombardi Trophy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think you've got to be realistic. Uh, you know, obviously you saw it last year. Not a lot of people picked the Bengals to go to the Super Bowl once they got in the playoffs. So the very first important thing is to get out there, get in the tournament, and get hot and see what happens. Uh, but you, I think realistically, you know, is this, a, is this the AFC favorite? No. You know, are they the AFC South favorite? I absolutely agree with that. I think they have to win the division this year. I think that's something that uh, it would be a really disappointing season if that doesn't happen. And I think it's in their best interest to, to get as high a seat as you possibly can. That's important every year, 
But what you just said, I mean, that list of teams that you ran down and you know there'll be a surprise. Every year there's somebody we're not talking about right now who's going to come. Is Miami going to be a lot better than we think? You know, are, are they that team? Who knows? Somebody's going to come out of there and be much better. Maybe Pittsburgh's pride comes up and, you know, I don't, I don't like their quarterback situation, but you never know what's going to happen. Uh, that's what makes the NFL the best reality show going right now. And I, I feel like you want to make sure that you've got as many games as home as you can. You want to have as many, as few games you get to play. I mean, you can get that number one seed and get the lone buy. It's probably in your best interest when you've got this field that I think is going to be so heavy. I think once you get into that AFC playoff set, whatever teams are in, you're going to feel like any one of them could end up representing the team in the Super Bowl. And two, George, we look at like especially like how deep this this conference is. The one thing the Colts have been lacking, especially when you look around the rest of the conference, I know they still have a lot of you know players from 2018. Right, they have Shaquille Leonard. You have you know um, Quentin Nelson. You do have a lot of key guys, core guys that were there the last time the Colts made the or made or won a playoff game in 2018. But the recent trend, especially for this team, and you mentioned before, has been not finishing. You know, 2020. They honestly, you look at that Bills playoff game. I came away. I thought they should have won the game. To be honest, they they played really well. Josh Allen had a bad second half. You probably should have won that game in Buffalo. Obviously, we know what happened in 2021 with the total collapse. Making the and that's why when you look at this Colts team, at least expectations wise, I'm with you. It should be AFC South or bust for sure. But you talk about just making the playoffs. It would be also a great less uh, learning lesson for this team to realize. Okay, this is what it takes to get to this level. And maybe you win a playoff game. That's even going to boost you, you know, even more confidence-wise going forward. Because that's something I do think you do need some sort of playoff experience and confidence once you get into the playoffs. Because you're going in so many battle-tested uh, quarterbacks and teams, where so many really outside of the Colts, they have been there before. The Colts haven't recently. And this would be just a great lesson for them to, to learn what it takes to truly finish. Which why for me, when you, you know we're talking about end of the season goals already. They don't make the Super Bowl, but they make the playoffs. I should say that's a win. You know, have these guys learn how to actually win big games. I know success is not linear per se, where that doesn't mean if they make the playoffs this year, they'll guarantee to win a playoff game next year. But it certainly helps, and it certainly makes closing that gap between the elite of, let's say, you know, the Bills and the Chiefs and everyone else. When you're trying to close that gap, making the playoffs, getting that playoff experience, getting that taste of what it's like to win big games, that's one small way to kind of close yourself and get closer to the big guys. Yeah, to me, the the bare minimum along those lines for for a successful season, win the division and win a home playoff game. I think you've got to do those two things. That happens, you know. Obviously, from there, anything else is is great, and no one's going to feel no one's going to be celebrating a playoff loss after that. Uh, but I think you're going to feel really good going into next year if you're able to accomplish that right now. Um, you know, especially because you, you Matt Ryan's going to be here for two years. They keep saying that it's you know I don't think he's going to retire like Philip Rivers did at, at the end of the season. Um, and that's, I mean, that alone will be huge. Frank Reich hasn't had the same starting quarterback in back-to-back years, let alone any of the other consistency that you'd want with a football team. And that's why I think what you're saying is, is absolutely true. Yeah. Some of these guys were on that 2018 team, but everyone around them has changed. Everything around them has changed. And so you've got to get this group out there, let them experience playoff football in an ideal situation, let them win a game, let them see what it takes to, to win at that level and then you can spend next offseason, you know, filling in some holes, and it might be a, a Super Bowl or bust year in 2023. 
And especially too, you mentioned before, we were talking about, you know, joint practices and kind of, you know, how that's a little bit intensity wise, maybe different than the preseason and clearly different than just going, you know, against the other, you know, your own team's defense, the Colts defense. Now you talk about, you know, playoff football. Like there is a, you know, we talk about the difference between joint practice preseason to the regular season. You go from the regular season to the playoffs, whether it's at home, you get a playoff game, maybe you, you win one, like you say, you go on the road and now you see even what it's like to go into another team's building in an intense playoff atmosphere. It's only going to work wonders for this team. You don't want to call 2022 a bridge season per se, but that's kind of how I think the Colts should view it. And that kind of should be their goal is, oh, we should win the division, but let's bridge this year from here to next year and get as close as we can to the elites to them. By the time, like I said, we're sitting here this time next year, we're talking about a team that can compete and, go, and can go into Buffalo or Kansas City or Denver or Cincinnati and legitimately win playoff games and go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's where you want to be, right? And I, I think, obviously, there's Cinderella runs every year. You don't rule it out as a possibility with this team, but it should not be the number one objective. It should it should be the number one objective. It should not be the number one measure of success for this team this year. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because I think um, there's a lot of things you want to go on the way, and I think that's good for them. You know, it's easy to think big picture and say win the division, win a playoff like I just did, but you've got this team's got to win week one first. Everybody says that, but it's a real thing. We just talked about it. It's a real thing with this group. They've got to get off to a good start. Five of those first seven games are against the division. It's imperative that you start fast this year, or you're going to be in a hole. And we've seen the last few years, how much that takes out of this team. I mean, even the 2018 team, they ran out of steam in Kansas city. At that point, they had won, I think 10 of their last 11 games. They pretty much had to, to get in the playoffs and then beat Houston in that wild card game. They had nothing left. And if you get off to a slow start this year, even if you rebound, you're going to be in the same boat. You know, you can't be playing catch up all year long. It's going to take it out of you. And I think the way the schedule sets up, they don't, they should not, everybody's always talking about one week at a time here. You got the one and no mentality. I think this schedule forces them to do that. You cannot look too far ahead. You got to take care of what's right in front of you. So shoot when I too, I believe the uh, the Texans or the Titans are both games within, I think before week seven or eight. So you have, you know, a bunch of division games right there in front of you to start the first month and a half to your point. It's coming out hot and getting it done. So for me, I will say, if we want to say, what is a successful season, right? For Jim or say it's Super Bowl, I will say win the division. I won't, let's say, put a, a playoff win mandate on the table. Are you saying though, win the division and win a playoff game? I'm saying win the division right. and win that home playoff game. Keeping the standards high. I do love <laughs> it. All right. So we can't get to week one without talking about preseason game number two. When we come back here in the blue horseshoe, not a lot of starters were, uh, are going to play against the Lions on Saturday, but that does not mean there's still not anything to watch. A few storylines we're going to be paying attention to as we get ready for preseason game number two. We'll give you those after this. All right. Preseason game number two is on Saturday. Colts, Lions, Lucas Oil Stadium. Not a lot of big names, not a lot of starters will be on the field for the Colts. A lot of this work uh, done this week was in joint practices, but there's still some things to watch. And one thing, George, that's been a concern, even going back to the first preseason game, and it's carried through at least these two joint practices against the Lions, the starting five for the offensive line, for the most part, solid. You feel good about uh, all five guys. After that, Six through 10, the depth is extremely, extremely concerning, whether it's run blocking, whether it's pass blocking. This is, I know they're going against mostly backups on Saturday against the Lions. This is going to be a huge, huge, huge opportunity here for at least, at least one. I mean, we're going to hope for just one or two guys here to kind of break away from the mold and show 
if someone goes down on the offensive line, tackle guard center, they can fill in and this offensive line won't take a step back. Yeah, I mean, you look at last year, this this team had Matt Pryor on the bench. They had Chris Reed. Uh, they had Danny Pinner. Guys that could come in, make plays, and had to. You know, they won games with those guys out there as starters because the offensive line got banged up. I don't know who replaces them this year. I, right now, you don't have that kind of confidence in, in this second unit. Uh, today out there, or Wednesday, Thursday out there, I, my whole week shot because of uh, <laughs> He's you know, to get these everything is one big blur, George. They're all gone. So, but yeah, Thursday out there uh, on the practice field, they whistled the play dead three times for Nick Foles, which is basically what you get for a sack here. The defensive line has, has won the rep and they're, they're going to call it dead. Uh, that's not good. You know I mean? He, they probably had 20 snaps, I would say, in team drills for the second team, 20-odd snaps in the second, and he got sacked three times. That's not a good percentage. You don't want to see that. Uh, and it, it affected him more, I think, his passing more on on Wednesday when he was only five of nine than it did today when he was, I think, eight of nine. He had a, he had a really good day when he was able to get the ball off today, but you can't, he can't be under that kind of fire. And especially when you consider – like you said, some of these guys are going to have to step up during the season and they're going to be protecting Matt Ryan. It's not at a level it needs to be at. It's not close right now. And so I think that offensive line needs to go out on, on Saturday and have some good moments. Have something, put something on tape that you can build on. And we, we started the podcast by saying we're not going to overreact to, you know, preseason training camp and joint practices because it's just a small sample size. And a lot of it doesn't really mimic what the game actually is like in the regular season. But I think this is one of the few times and few exceptions where we're going to watch Saturday with a close eye and see, to your point, who can actually truly stand out, who can make a play. Because you mentioned before, the Colts' offensive line depth last year was really good. But now you have two of those guys starting in your front five. And now, so you take away some of the depth. They have some, you know, injury issues with with guys like Dennis Kelly still trying to work their Mm -hmm. way back. So now it is truly, you know, survival here for whatever quarterback is behind this, this backup offensive line. Even though you're going against mostly twos, this has got to be a unit that really shows you something on Saturday and gives you at least a reason to hope or have some, you know, confidence that if someone does go down, right, the whole thing's not going to fall apart and Matt Ryan's not going to just be running for his life or spiking the ball in the dirt because, you know, some guy just got beat off the edge in a in a quick second here. Speaking of quarterbacks, too, Matt Ryan's not going to play. Nick Foles is going to play a quarter. Sam Ellinger is going to play two quarters. So he's going to get a majority of the uh, of the run here. One thing I thought was interesting, and I'm not sure if this is going to go into Frank Reich's thinking or not, but we've talked about the offensive line. Now, I get it. You're playing against backup offensive line. Most of the time, that backup offensive line, you hope, should not be in come the regular season. But Sam Ellinger does provide mobility, does provide some wiggle and ability to make plays out of the pocket where we know Nick Foles is a lot like Matt uh, Matt Ryan, statue. Right? Just going to be back there, not going to move moving too much, and did get sacked on Thursday a bunch of times in part because he can't extend the play. Is there any thought from Frank Reich? Is there even any reason to watch the quarterbacks on Saturday? I think maybe Sam Ellinger could come in there and steal the backup job away from Nick Foles. Not at this point. You know, I mean, Frank Reich will never come out and, and flat out say anything like that. But uh, when he was asked about it earlier this week, he made a big point of saying Nick Foles has played a lot of football and, and he's confident in Nick Foles, which is kind of Reich's way of saying he's the number two quarterback. I do think when you saw what Ellinger did in Buffalo, running for his life and making plays, uh, that's who he is. You know, that that that's – we saw that from him at Texas for years. Um, he's he's one of the ultimate competitors, I think, and in, in probably in college football history as, as far as just going out there and, and making things happen. I, I know he was way up there in starts, uh, a bunch of different things, you know, historically in college football. 
uh, that went his way. When you're a four-year starter at Texas, you're going to be in the record books quite a bit. Uh, and just being a four-year starter at Texas, I think t- says a lot about him. He's a natural leader. I think one of these days, I, I really think he's going to be uh, a little bit like Kellen Moore. I mean, I could see him on, on that coaching track. Uh, he's just got that kind of mentality. Uh, if he went to college, I think it'd be hard for moms to say no to, to send their son to play for him. You know, I think he's going to be, I think that's where his future is going to be. And I think right now, the big question with him is always his arm strength. You know, can can you get the ball where it needs to be when it needs to be there? He makes up for a lot of it with his intangibles, his ability to read defenses. You know, he gets the ball out there on time a lot, even though it might not have the zip that that the other guys do. But I thought he would have a good preseason. I think he'll continue to have a good preseason. You got to remember, last year he was competing for that potential starting job in week one because you really didn't know yet where Carson Wentz was in his recovery. Uh, and he was going against the ones and twos. And this year, for the most part, he's going against the threes and fours. And I thought he might look pretty good doing that considering that he held his own enough last year against the ones and twos. Uh, and I think you're going to continue to see him put up numbers, but I don't think he's pushing Nick Foles, not at this point. Especially coming off of last year, George, where you mentioned it was Jacob Eason versus Sam Ellinger, potentially at one point we thought to be starting week number one, maybe even a few games before Carson Wentz did return. I would agree that I think going to Nick Foles is the right move. And I do think that you having a backup and a quarterback that's experienced, that kind of is not going to be frazzled, not saying Sam Ellinger is, but he's still so young, only going to year number two. It's still so much for him with a very little playing time. If Matt Ryan does get hurt, season's probably in jeopardy anyway, whether it's Nick Foles or Sam Ellinger. But it is nice to have that experience back up there that can for an offense that is still, again, very young. We talk about the wide receiving core. We talk about the tight ends. Very inexperienced group. I like the fact that you can, even though talent-wise, I'm kind of done with Nick Foles. He had that nice run. I know it was with Frank Reich in Philly. Has not been you know, able to replicate it any uh, time since. Um, but it is nice to have at least a veteran presence there, knows where to go with the football, comfortable with the offense, and can calm everyone down if he needs to play for a game or two, God forbid, if Matt Ryan does get hurt. Sam Ellinger, just for his lack of experience and you know not being on the field, wouldn't clearly provide that. So I do like, from that perspective, having a backup quarterback that has experience, that is comfortable with Frank Reich's system, and has seen a thing or two. So if he has to go into the you know, heat of the battle late in the game or start a game on the road in a game that Colts need to win, feel a lot better with Nick Foles, even though town-wise, I think he's fallen off compared to an inexperienced guy who does provide more mobility, maybe even more playmaking ability in Sam Ellinger. Yeah, you know, I think Sam's got every intangible you want. I think that's one of the things. That's why he's here. You know, I mean, he, he's, right. if you just look at him from a mental standpoint, he was teaching Nick Foles the offense when Nick first got here. I mean, the little changes and things that have happened since Reich was in Philly with him. I remember it was really impressive last year when Brett Hundley got here right after Carson Wentz got hurt. Brett Hundley said, the rookie's teaching me the offense. I'm going to <laughs> Sam Ellinger. He knows it. Uh, he's, he's one of those guys, you know, he, and I think that's why this team will follow him. Uh, but like you said, I think the experience that Foles has, uh, the fact that one thing he still does do is, you know, he, he takes that deep read every time he's going to go deep. He's going to take his shots. You're not going to get that with, 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 with Sam Ellinger. Um, his, he's more that quick, you know, get it out quick and, and underneath passing game. But yeah, there's, there's no competition there right now, but I think at the same time, uh, it's it's in Sam's best interest to keep putting out good tape. You know, who knows? I know Chris Ballard really likes him as, as a person and as a quarterback. And so, you know, just keep putting good tape out there and who knows what the future holds. Can you believe it, George? We're basically halfway through training camp. Insane. I mean, it, well, we're almost done. Uh, you know, three True. more practices after after 
this Thursday thing wrapped up. Three practices next week, and then he got. It's weird because camp will break, but it's it's not the regular season yet. You know, there's no fourth preseason game. You you've got that extra week now that I'm still kind of getting used to. It's gonna take a. It's different. Time at uh, Westfield is definitely starting to wrap up for show. We're starting to get closer and closer as the preseason game number two does uh, does arrive here on Saturday. Closer and closer to getting to some meaningful football. As always, make sure you like and subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. We'll be back breaking down some preseason game number two thoughts. You can always follow George between now and then on Twitter at GM Bremer. Follow me on Twitter at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. And we'll be back next week. The latest... Colts content.